So Kazakhstan, January 2nd, blew up, right? Not literally, but unrest, right? Protests. And it was all around supposedly a singular policy, and that is gas subsidize gas subsidies were cut essentially a price cap on the price of gas and supposedly this erupted large protests and indeed there were protests over that and in the former soviet states the eastern european countries especially but also in central asia they've been racked with austerity i mean and real political instability right so the current president uh mr uh, what's his what's his name now? Um, not a name we say very often, but uh, the president of Kazakhstan he came to power in 2019 after a lot of political turmoil. Right, there was some regime. Uh, yeah, uh, Katiem Jomart Tokayev. So he took over in 2019, and yeah, there's been political instability in Kazakhstan, and it's a byproduct of the, the fall of the Soviet Union. Because these countries were not countries, right? There's been this like Kazakhstanification, trying to build this nationalism that doesn't really exist, mainly because it was a Soviet Republic and these borders were literally drawn up by those folks who wanted to see the Soviet Union disintegrated. So it became economic, you know, the under level of underdevelopment skyrocketed in Kazakhstan and, and then China launched its Belt and Road Initiative and actually launched it in Kazakhstan. In 2013, the announcement of very president Xi Jinping was made in this country as a symbol, right? Because Kazakhstan has a 1700 kilometer border with China and it was a symbol of that partnership which was already burgeoning but now has become so big that it is Kazakhstan's largest trading partner with Russia in second. So this unrest was violent, right? Beginning January 2nd, people were getting killed. You had videos of unmarked cars giving weapons to folks. You had gunshots in government buildings. I think more than 100 people died, something like almost 120, maybe 119, I think. Thousands were arrested. Confrontations between the military and these quote-unquote protesters, right? And the Kazakhstan government called upon the uh, security organization that was formed as a counterweight to NATO, uh, the Collective Security Treaty Organization, which has Belarus, Tajikistan. Uh, it has... Uh, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, it has six countries of the region cooperating on security. And essentially, the president, Tokayev, requested assistance. And since then, things have been stabilizing. The protests have been diminishing. And Tokayev announced, uh, I think, a six-month pause on the cut. So between that and the security cooperation... Things are stabilizing, but all along the way, Vladimir Putin, Russia, Sergei, Lav Sergei Lavrov, foreign ministry, China, the president of Kazakhstan, Tokayev, they've all been saying that there are other elements involved here, that this is not just merely a domestic situation and that we have to guard against color revolutions. And so that I think is very important. 
And so some people will say, well, what about the agency of the Kazakhstani people? And indeed, there is no doubt that there are domestic troubles in Kazakhstan, just like all of these countries which have literally been starved by the fall of the Soviet Union. I mean, that was such a brutal hit to landlocked countries like Kazakhstan, which were already underdeveloped to begin with and now no longer had a direct lifeline in terms of sharing, cooperating, and developing with via the Soviet Union. When that was finished, then essentially Kazakhstan, Tajikistan, all these countries became open for business, and that's why you have some of the highest rates of poverty despite having one of the most oil and gas-rich countries in the world. I believe it's the largest oil producer in the Central Asia region. So I'm going to pull up my CGTN article because I think it's important to talk about what does U.S. meddling look like in some of its forms. I mean, this is by no means exhaustive because U.S. meddling is so expansive when it comes to the ways in which NGOs do their work. So I'm going to share my commission here and then I'll share a short video. <clears throat> actually, yeah, actually maybe I'll do that. I wanted to go over the WeChat article, but maybe I'll just put that in the chat here. Um, the WeChat article is kind of long, but I'll put it in the chat because it does talk about some things that may be important. Uh, so actually, let's do that. Let's look at let's look at this WeChat article. Uh, you can find the CGTN article on CGTN if you subscribe. You can uh, to my Patreon to my Substack. I'll be publishing it there as well. So I'm gonna do that because I think it's good. You know, I don't I don't know if many people are sharing. WeChat sources. So luckily enough, I have some connections in China who can hook it up. And uh, you have to have actually a certain level of literacy of both the Chinese language of Mandarin as well as uh, the app. And so I have the app, but I had actually someone, someone sent me this. So so it says, the darkest moment of the anchor of Central Asia's stability brings forth great revelations to the world, not for, forth. <laughs> so Kazakhstan is experiencing the biggest chaos in 30 years of independence. The changes are fast, force, the force is fierce, and the destruction is unexpected. Although the situation is stabilized, recently the dust is far from settled, and it remains to be seen where the former anchor of stability in Central Asia will go. As bystanders, we have at least four major revelations. So here we go. In the past few, for few days, the militants who attacked government facilities, the ghosts of the United States in the West, are resorting to violent, peaceful demonstrations and constantly increasing the quote-unquote people's demands. There are various signs that the frenzy of the color revolution is once again flocked to Central Asia. So essentially, this is a color revolution. As President Tokayev said, Kazakhstan has experienced the most difficult and darkest moment in its national, in its history of national independence. So here you have, on January 6th, the statue of the former president, uh, Nur Sultan Nazarbayev, was pulled down by protesters with a truck in Almaty. Almaty is very important in Kazakhstan as it is the most developed city 
sorry, the most developed city and also one which is hugely important to the Belt and Road Initiative. So in, on January 26, 2022, more than 1,000 protesters stormed the Almaty City Government Building and gunshots were heard at the scene. So this is a destroyed government building. I mean, protesters, generally peaceful demonstrations don't really have that capacity. During the rebellion and, and so-called riots of 2020, you did have some institutions get burned and destroyed, but uh, you had the police station in Minneapolis, for example. That was a huge moment. But by and large, this is a very difficult thing, and it's just so interesting that they had the weaponry to destroy this building. So we'll go on. So the United States and the West have repeatedly advocated that the color revolution can cure all diseases. Almost all buyer shows in the world have been overturned. <laughs> that must be a really bad translation. So it has been more than 10 years since the Arab Spring and countries are still mired in an Arab winter of war, social unrest, economic recession. So in the once stable Ukraine and Bolivia, countless people were bloodstained on the streets and riots and the country's reform and development were stagnated. So that is 100% true. Very good point. So again, this is coming out of China's WeChat. It's an independent writer talking about the unrest in Kazakhstan, comparing it to Ukraine and Bolivia. Those are two great examples. 2014 Ukraine, the overthrow by literal neo-Nazis supported by the United States, like the, uh, um, what are they called? The battalion. Uh, so these far-right forces in Ukraine they overthrow the government in 2014 with the help of the United States. And then you have in Bolivia, far-right forces doing the same thing, right? That's essentially what happened. Um, I think it's the Azov Battalion. Am I correct there? The Azov Battalion? Uh, yeah, there we go. The Azov Battalion. They're the far-right fascistic group. So, all, you know, that's what happened in Ukraine and Bolivia had the same thing with the Jininanya's administration being put into power, but a lot of far-right forces and the, the far-right Christian fundamentalist movement there, and uh, they were empowered for luckily just a year. And But we can go on. Syria is also another one, right? That, that's what they talk about, the quote-unquote Arab Spring. The National Endowment for Democracy, as we'll get into later, actually funds a lot of so-called civil society organizations in Syria, as these fighters are being supplied with weapons and funding by the CIA and the Pentagon, sometimes conflicting with each other, as these Al-Qaeda forces are being supported, so too are these more soft power tactics being employed to try to give legitimacy to them. I mean, look at the White Helmets. That was a big example of that. And so the lessons of blood have proved that the color revolution signed on by the United States and the West have never been an express ticket for democracy and advancement, but an empty promise to chaos and decay. Very, very powerful. So in recent years, in order to promote global hegemony and suppress no, quote-unquote non-Chinese ra races such as China and Russia, the United States, I don't know what translation that is. That must be a super bad translation. So scratch that. In order to promote global hegemony, against China and Russia, the United States has accelerated its strategic eastward shift using Central Asia as a pawn to contain and restrain China and Russia. In 2020, after U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo visited Central Asian countries, including Kazakhstan, the United States immediately released a new version of the Central Asia strategy full of private goods such as the rule of law reform, democracy and human rights, and promotion of American investment. 
So in my article, I talk about how 61, uh, I believe $61 million in 2020 was invested by U.S. International Agency for National Development, the State Department, and affiliated organizations, $1 million in that year alone from the National Endowment for Democracy. Funding all of these groups, so-called American investment, really trying to be a bulwark against the Belt and Road Initiative. So under the hard work of the United States and the West, false information, rumors, and slander spread all over Kazakhstan's network in European standards, quote-unquote, have become the golden rule that everyone should follow. Finally, amid the roar of American Western public opinion and propaganda machinery, Kazakhstan was in chaos overnight and the fruits of the hard work accumulated by generations of people were destroyed. There are public opinions that the riots have set back Kazakhstan's economy by at least 15 years. So think about this. I was reading an interview earlier today from a Kazakhstan academic published in 2016 that about only 5% of highways are class A or the, the highest in in the best condition and that's one thing china is helping kazakhstan do is build roads build infrastructure and so there's a lot of enthusiasm about the belt and road initiative but so when you have five percent of roads being in top condition the rest not your economy is already really fragile and so when you have forces destroying important institutions it can really cause a lot of damage so in the past two years, the National Endowment for Democracy has nearly doubled its funding to Kazakhstan. According to incomplete statistics, there are at least 16,000 NGOs of various types active in Kazakhstan, most of, most of which of Western backgrounds. According to Russian media, the actual number of NGOs in Kazakhstan may be even as high as 40,000. So 40,000 organizations in this small country, I think it's a population of 19 million. Yes, considering that population of Kazakhstan is just over 19 million, so many NGOs supported by the West are enough to infiltrate Kazakhstan. I mean, it's a small country. So 40,000 organizations, you can really have an influence. Is this good for Kazakhstan or is it trying to build to buy people's hearts and minds? <clears throat> That's definitely supposed to be minds, not conspiracy. <laughs> it's not difficult to explain why a large number of democracy fighters who took money to break the law appeared in this riot. A Kurzig man detained in Almaty admitted to the media that someone offered him more than $200 USD, by the way. So that's I'm not sure what the Kazakh currency is, but I'm sure it's a lot of money in this region to go to Kazakhstan and participate in a protest as well as buy air tickets to provide him with travel expenses. Many rioters from other countries have also received the same promise. They took to the streets under the arrangement of the unified organization. Some people also received energy drinks distributed uniformly. After drinking, they lost their behavior and ability to control themselves. That's interesting. This is reminiscent of Hong Kong, China. In those days, Western NGOs instigated thugs to commit crimes and openly, issue, openly issued wage slips to set salary standards for atrocities, such as smashing, assault, uh, smashing assaulting police and ignition. Now, the same drama is being played out in Kazakhstan. So there is a, a parallel here because the U.S., National Endowment for Democracy is a huge funder of organizations that were operating in Hong Kong that are now being clamped down on because of they broke the law by doing all of this chaos and violence toward people and institutions. And so they're being clamped down on. But in 2019, this was a huge problem. And so there is a, a big parallel there. The Western capital behind democracy is also searching for fat in Kazakhstan and enriching its own pockets. 
The United States once injected huge sums of money into the key energy industry of Central Asian countries under the banners of helping countries in social governance and passing advanced management experience, creating a group of new oligarchs too big to fail and grabbing all of the benefits. For example, Tengiz Chevron, a joint venture between the United States and Kazakhstan, is the largest entity and oil producer in Kazakhstan and controls a number of oil fields in Western Kazakhstan. Two American giants, Chevron and ExxonMobil, have 75% stake in the company, which is absolutely dominant. At the end of last year, Tengiz Chevron needed to lay off 40,000 Kazakh workers due to revenue. The fuse of this riot was precisely the protest of these oil workers because of their difficult lives. Well, I didn't know that, so I didn't actually read this all the way through. So these are just some of the details that we can't have, our media doesn't tell us about, right? They don't tell us about the damaging policies set forth by multinational corporations of the United States and the West in these countries. We don't hear that. Antony Blinken didn't say any of this. He didn't say that their corporations were responsible for destroying the livelihoods of 40,000 people before this unrest. He didn't say that. It's all about China and Russia. What did he say about Russia? Oh, it's hard to get them out once you allow them in your house. Uh, the Chinese security, the central, um, the organization uh, that was called in, the, um, what's it called? The Collective Security Treaty Organization, the, the Central Asian Russian security organization is already leaving. <laughs> it's ridiculous to say that, <clears throat> in fact, Russia doesn't leave. So anyway, moving on. So when the economic lifeline of our country is in the hands of the United States and the West, the flow of resources is determined by the Americans. The people of the country can get a share of the pie and the answer can be imagined. So that's really bad translation. But essentially what this is said is that Kazakhstan's economy, a lot of it is dictated by the United States. As the largest seller of democracy and human rights, the United States has clearly marked the price of democracy and human rights time and time again, deceiving buyers into bankruptcy, but it is only, but it is the only one who is full of money. President Tokayev reflected in this televised speech, the tragic event, this tragic event has given us a new perspective on democracy and human rights. So this is a big deal. There's always blowback to color revolutions. So the strategy is to try to create enough instability, like in Ukraine, to get an overthrow of the government. It's been tried in Venezuela, it's been tried in Belarus, it's been tried in Hong Kong, it's been tried in so many places. Try to over destabilize things to assert U.S. influence after the fact. Well, during, during the color revolution, there's an assertion of U.S. influence, but it's about ensuring that that country or that region is now split, is now separate, and can be dictated by U.S. forces, economic, military, political, diplomatic, etc., etc., but there's always blowback. Look what happened in Hong Kong. The national security law is doing a clean sweep. There's stability there. There were legislative elections held. The national security law is a raging success, very popular among people in Hong Kong because, surprise, surprise, people do not want their governments burning down. They don't want to be shot at with flaming arrows from the train station. They don't want to be attacked in the streets for a camera opportunity, a photo opportunity. People don't want that. <laughs> and the same goes for Belarus, right? The same goes for the numerous times Russia has been involved and targeted by color revolutions. The same goes for Bolivia. It seems like the instability 
whether it succeeds for a short time or not, does tend to have this blowback of creating more isolation for the United States and the West and its forces. And so I think we're going to see that with Kazakhstan after this experience. Kazakhstan was already a deep partner of China and Russia, and that will probably accelerate. And there will probably be even more cooperation on this issue alone because China and Russia have been cooperating together on color revolutions. But with Belt and Road Initiative, with the Eurasian uh, Economic Union, there's an impetus to cooperate wholesale politically across the region on this matter. So shortly after the riot, President Tokayev characterized the incident as a terrorist attack and stated there'd be no negotiation with terrorists and the thugs must be eliminated. On the other hand, Western populations have always avoided the word terrorism. What are the facts? Historically, Kazakhstan has had no shortage of protests, but it has never sparked such large-scale unrest, let alone a threat to regime security. Many Kazakhs said in interviews what happened to their motherland was unexpected. We thought the country was very prosperous, strong, and stable. In fact, the reason why this riot was so powerful and caused such heavy losses is precisely because a large number of violent terrorists caused mischief. They were planned and organized to provoke riots in many places simultaneously, and their methods were extremely brutal, even beheading the captured police soldiers. If these are not acts of terrorism, what are? I mean, that's disgusting. So here you have protests in the city of Almaty were taken to the rally and uniformly distributing, distributing weapons. So there you see weapons being picked up off the ground. And here is a group of demonstrators snatch a policeman's firearm on the streets of Almaty. So, you know, you're getting some of this feel. A retail store in the city of Almaty was looted by demonstrators. I mean, now that's real looting. <laughs> what happened in the 2020 rebellion in the United States across the country? That nothing compared to this. It is worth pondering that many violent terrorists have hidden a large number of deadly weapons and explosives beforehand. There is no, uh, and are also proficient in using automatic rifles and police equipment. There is no doubt that they are not amateurs who take to the streets to protest on a whim. The composition of their personnel is very complex, including not only NGO people, but also Kazakh ultranationalists and Islamic extremist elements and many others who are unidentified, but they've obviously received training from abroad. This movement of people and things is undoubtedly a huge threat to public safety, but the Kazakh security services have no warning. In the early days of the riots, some military and police officers had insufficient intelligence and went to the scene without weapons. As a result, the violent terrorists who were armed to the teeth were caught off guard and suffered heavy losses. Um, so I think that's what's supposed to say is that the police and the military were caught off guard. They didn't have weapons and the, the, the protesters did. If the powerful departments do not have good information, the guns are not hard, how can they protect the people? And also one thing about Tokayev is that actually the military and police are from the former administration who's an opponent of Tokayev. So that could have explained the miscommunication. For a long time, three evil forces, violent terrorist forces, ethnic supremacist forces, religious extremist forces, including the East Turkestan elements, have always been major concerns to Central Asian countries posing a serious threat to regional peace, stability, and security development. The rest in Kazakhstan, the unrest in Kazakhstan is the latest proof. The world is waking up from a dream. If you hadn't experienced it and seen it with your own eyes, it would be hard to imagine that the violent terrorists are so brutal and, brutal and inhumane. More and more people are finally understanding the need for the Chinese government to vigorously carry out counterterrorism and de-radicalization in Xinjiang and understand the extreme importance, severity, and complexity of the fight against terrorism. On the contrary, some countries in the United States and the West, some countries like the United States, 
in Western countries out of selfish interest, not only support and condone violent extremists and terrorists to devastate Central Asia and the Middle East, but also frequently detain Xinjiang, frequently talk about Xinjiang, such as genocide and forced labor, which is nothing short of a shame for human civilization. So I think what it's saying here is that what the author is saying here is that they talk about Xinjiang as this great human rights catastrophe when, in fact, the U.S. and the West support terrorism. So almost finished, I believe. Okay, so it continues onward, but um, where was I? Kazakhstan has long pursued the diverse and balanced foreign policy of great powers and failed to maintain sufficient vigilance against the Trojan horse of the United States and the West and ultimately swallowed the consequences. It's a pretty good critique of an ally, I must say. Again, this is an independent article. This is not written by state media. So, for example, the Kazakh government agreed with the United States to establish, establish a biological laboratory in its territory, and as a result, many strange diseases appeared there. According to reports, even the Kazakh officials have no right to ask what the Americans are doing in the laboratory. No wonder former Deputy Defense Minister Arnebek Togasov lamented, we are like experimental monkeys, and our territory has become a natural testing ground for the Pentagon to test new viruses. Now, tell me that's not interesting. I mean, this is just a, this is just a constant problem uh, for oppressed countries like Kazakhstan, where their countries are just used as possible testing grounds, uh, training grounds for the Pentagon. It's it's a complete violation of sovereignty. But the author is saying the Kazakhstan government has a balanced approach to all countries: Russia, China, the United States. And is suffering the consequences for allowing the U.S. so much influence in Europe, too. At a critical moment in Kazakhstan, the Chinese leader immediately sent a message, so Xi Jinping, reiterating to Tokayev, Chinese people will always stand by the Kazakh people. State Councilor Wang Yi spoke with the Deputy Prime Minister of Kazakhstan on January 10th, the National Day of Mourning in Kazakhstan, expressing firm support for Kazakhstan and maintaining stability and ending violence. Russia and other members of the Collective Security Treaty Organization also supporting the, supported the Kazakh authorities for the first time and sent peacekeeping forces to Kazakhstan to help Kazakhstan fight terrorism and maintain stability. On the other hand, the U.S. Embassy and Consulate website in Kazakhstan warned unpredictably that there might be unrest in Kazakhstan and immediately withdrew all kinds of NGOs in Almaty, throwing away the Kazakh people who were dreaming of the American dream behind their, in their heads who had this idea of the American dream. On the other hand, um, Western governments watched the fire from the sidelines after the incident condemning Kazakhstan's quote-unquote authoritarian, strong, and repre uh, repressive, so condemning Kazakhstan's government. Reuters, BBC, and other media hyped up Kazakh president's order to kill and suppress the riots, quote-unquote, and shooting without warning. Secretary of State Blinken, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, said, when the Russians come in your house, it is very difficult to let them leave. The result was immediately scolded. This quote was immediately scolded by Russian Foreign Ministry spokesperson Sakharova. When the Americans come to your house, you either die or be captured by adultery. So that I remember that. That was a very funny quote. So faced with the crisis of life and death, it is clear at a glance who is the true friend and who is the grandmother wolf. Interesting. I believe that this is an unforgettable lesson that will allow Kazakh authorities and people to recognize that the true force of the United States and the West see clearly the black hands that are eager to move under the cloak of democracy and human rights in the United States and the West and finally realize that playing ambiguous with the U.S. and the West is playing with fire. Now, that is some 
advice. So the future generations mourn and do not learn from it. And it also makes future generations mourn for the future generations. So that seems like a broken quote, mistranslation. So when the future generations mourn and do not learn from it, it also makes future generations mourn for the future generations. So essentially dooming the future to the condition of the present. Kazakhstan has already come to a painful conclusion. The new government has taken office, but the United States and the West behind the scenes are still stirring the undercurrent. For most countries in the world, Kazakhstan's darkest hour is the most vivid and cruel public lesson in 2022, which is worth thinking about, being cautious about, and learning from. So this was written by Chao Yang Xiaoxia. And it's about, so the WeChat publication is on the international situation, breaking the news, current politics and events, I think. So anyway, I want to share that with you. I thought that, I hope that you found that interesting. Uh, oops, let me just stop the screen. I hope you found that interesting. You know, essentially it's, it's basically what I wrote in my article, a lot of it talking about the role of NGOs, the, the exertion of soft power. That's their role. So they are another force for intervention. They're another force of the U.S. empire. It's in the Europe in its European allies, right? These Western NGOs, U.S.-based NGOs, they're meant to shape hearts, minds. They're meant to alter economic, political, social, cultural relations in the country to steer a country like Kazakhstan into the U.S. camp again because the Belt and Road Initiative is threatening U.S. hegemony in so many ways, but mainly through replacing the U.S.'s and the West's financial institutions with a more stable a and more helpful alternative, which is China, which is China's ability to invest in infrastructure and to do so in a way that does not produce what we saw in Kazakhstan over the last couple of weeks, this instability unrest. You don't get that through investment in ports and roads and railroads and high-speed rail. And you don't get that. You don't get that through stadiums and hospitals and 5G technology, 5G technology, you know, bases, telecommunications, infrastructure, all of that. Building that won't create the unrest that we saw in Kazakhstan, which is a definite byproduct of all of the underdevelopment that exists there since the fall of the Soviet Union. So that's how history is intertwined, right? You had the U.S. playing monopolist after the fall of the Soviet Union. The principal imperialist power no longer had a socialist challenger and literally ran roughshod over the entire region, pressured shock therapy everywhere, austerity everywhere, militarized the region, expanded NATO, and Kazakhstan paid a heavy price through the level of undevelopment that exists there despite all of the resources that it has. Now, China is offering an alternative in the Belt and Road Initiative, and, and those relations are pretty solid at this point, and they're not going to reverse, no matter how much the U.S. and West want that. It's not going to reverse, and this is how the United States and the West ultimately repay these countries that are doing business with China. So every single one of these countries that is in the Belt and Road Initiative is 
potentially subject to this kind of unrest as almost a domino theory, right? That's why we saw Belarus in 2020. That's why there's talks of Moldova now. That's why we seem to have every couple months, six months, every period, short period of time, we have another target. And that's only going to grow because we see Nicaragua has entered the Belt and Road Initiative. Syria, this is a big deal. Syria and Nicaragua, two countries that while not as developed as China, certainly sit in the same camp internationally in the sense that all both of them are for and abide by international law. Both of them consider themselves fiercely sovereign and independent. And both of them have histories of being targeted by the West in such a way that makes China only that much more attractive because China not only shares a common history in that way, but also is willing to cooperate on a far different basis. You will not see China go after Daniel Ortega and say, you got to overthrow that government, got to step, got to get him out of power. Same thing with Bashar al-Assad in Syria. No, China will help Syria rebuild after the war. Nicaragua, China will help Nicaragua subvert sanctions and be able to survive and stabilize and thrive in a very particularly difficult economic environment. And so Kazakhstan only serves to benefit and has benefited already from cooperation with China. That's why you had the quote in that article saying that Kazakhstan, there was some surprise by this unrest because there has been steady progress in that way. There has been more economic development, more modernization, and it's going to continue. But we can expect that these tens of thousands of NGOs in that country and all those NGOs that are spread all across the world, sucking resources dry from these countries, infiltrating them politically, creating all this instability at the behest of U.S. and Western capital and its military apparatus, we can expect that that will continue as well. So that's Kazakhstan, folks. It, it's a complex situation. It's 